What I plan to do today, tonight, is to exalt and to lift Jesus up in our midst, to encourage you in such a way that after I finish my, my message and you know, our, reason, our reasonable response will be to give him all the preeminence and the prominence that he deserves and that I pray that in our heart we'll be able to lift him up and exalt his name. What I plan to talk about this evening is about Jesus Christ, the greatest life that ever lived. In one of our men's meetings, we, we were encouraged when we are doing our quiet time or reading scriptures to carefully look at some words that might jump at us and then for us to chew it, to chew on it. You know, it might be for days, for weeks, you know, just to know that the Holy Spirit will speak to us on what that word means so that we may have a better grasp and understanding of what Jesus wants us to know. And it happened that, you know, a few weeks ago when Brother David asked me to speak, I was chewing on a word which is the intercession. And rightly so, when I told Brother David that I was going to speak on intercession this evening, what came rightly into his mind, <coughs> excuse me, is prayer. Prayer. But tonight, what I really want to do, I'd like to give you what I, what I you know, just to you know, at the, at the beginning of my message, I would like you to know what, I'm, what I plan to cover, so that eventually, if, you're, if, I, if I'm unable to finish the message, you will know where I'm going, and if I miss something out, you know, the Holy Spirit will make it complete in your, in your heart. The first thing that I want to look, that I want to touch on is what is the meaning of intercession? And what quality or characteristics must a person who is interceding must have? And then I plan to look into the scripture. This scripture is fraught with copious examples of how people have interceded between man and man and even between God. God uses simple things to teach us and to, to guide us. The word intercession is not new, even before Christ came. But Jesus Christ brought the word to perfection. And that is what I plan today, to go into the scriptures, to leave some scriptures out that will show us examples of people who have interceded on behalf of other people, and even on behalf of people and God. And at the end of the message, I plan to show you how God's intercessory work is so supreme and superior comply, you know, compared with all other interceding work of other men and other priests or prophets. So those are the four things that I want to cover. I want to explain what the word intercession is. I want to give you the qualities, the characteristics of whoever 
we might say this is an intercessor. And then show you the scriptures of people who have interceded on behalf of their people. And then conclude by showing you why Jesus Christ is so superior in his intercessory work for us. And I hope but at the end of the day, the lesson from this message will give you, just to link up with what Brother Yeme preached this morning, it will make you and encourage you to renew your commitments to the Lord. And again, it will help us to clean and rededicate our lives back to God when we fully understand what he's been through and what intercession is for us. And finally, I hope that this will enable you to the peace and hope that accompany our salvation. The peace and the hope that accompany, just when we get saved, is not all. The intercessory work of God, of Jesus Christ, is not finished. Where we will see that we still have the peace and hope that accompanies our, 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 our salvation which we can only have access to through the Father, Jesus Christ himself, because he's seated at the right hand, and he will grant us that access, that heavenly gift, that we might not be able to get access to, but because of his intercessory work, we are exposed, we are, we are open to those promises in the scriptures through the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the things that I plan that the Lord will enable you to see as I continue to give you what you know, what I plan to speak on today. So what is the word intercession? I looked, up, I looked it up in the, in the dictionary, the Webster, and um, he says it's an act of pleading. So you can rightly say that an intercessor is a peacemaker. It's an act of pleading for another person or on behalf of another person. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did to us. He's our peacemaker. He interceded for us. Intercession has been right from the right you know, time immemorial, even to the time of Jesus Christ, but he brought it to perfection. So what are the qualities that a person who will serve as a peacemaker must have? And what, has, what is an example of intercession? Intercession on one hand can happen between man and man, as we are going to see in the book of Philemon. Apostle Paul was interceding for one Simus that he goes back to his, slave, to his master. That's one form of intercession. Another form of intercession can be in between the, the, the church, interceding for another believer praying that God will heal, that God will bring comfort to that person, depending on what the prayer request is. We do that and we will still continue to do that. Even when Brother David was here, he mentioned some of the names that we have to pray for, we have to intercede for. So now that you have an understanding of what an intercession is, what are the characteristics, what are the criteria for a person to be an intercessor, to be a peacemaker. I remember sometimes when my son would run into trouble and 
Maybe sometimes I may want to just say, okay, you know, you will be disciplined for what you have done. And my wife will come in between us and intercede and say, oh. And oftentimes, the punishment will be completely averted, suspended, or the punishment may be reduced just because she has interceded for him. So inter 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 interceding is an act of pleading. And for you to be able to do that, you must have some quality. Qualities like being influential. What I plan to do is to show you what, uh, what these qualities are in Jesus Christ. But before we talk about that, I want to talk, mention about the qualities that are found in some other people who have, who have interceded between man and man and between man and God. You might say kindness. The person who must serve as a peacemaker must be kind, right? He must be a loving, kindness person. He must be patriotic. He must be powerful. That's all the qualities that we may find in a peacemaker. And we, find, we will find all that in Jesus Christ and even more than that. So let's turn into the Bible to see what are the intercessory work that some other people have done. And these are, these, these are people that you are familiar with. I won't dwell so much on, this, on, the, on the biblical account. I will just go into the context you know, within which that intersection you know, took place. Jonathan interceded for David. That is found in the book of Samuel, chapter 19, from verse 1 to 7. And it's a, it's a story, it's a biblical account that we are all familiar with. When Saul was trying to kill David. And David's son, Jonathan, interceded for his friend, David. Samuel chapter 19. Let's read from 4. Chapter 19, beginning from 4. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant, David. He has not wronged you. And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then will you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? That's an act of interceding. He was going to kill the lad just because of the glory you know, that David received after the victory. So Jonathan in chapter seven, we are told that, so Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation when he heard Saul that he was going to kill him. But Saul, we are told in, in verse 6, Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. 
As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to, to death. That's an intercession. That's an intercession. Another one that I want you to go to is the intercession in the book of Esther. And this is another account that we are all. Esther, the book of Esther, chapter 4. I won't go into it. It's a long account, but I'm sure you are all familiar with that. When Mordecai went, because the survivor of the nation, Jews, you know, were being threatened. And Mordecai approached Esther because Esther was the queen at that time, and she wanted them to, she wanted her to inter, inter, intercede to the queen, to the king, so that the, the lives of the, you know, of our people, will be spared. Esther chapter four, if you re, if you go to verse eleven, it says all the kings of Vicious and the people of the royal provinces know that for any woman or man who approaches the king in the inner court, without being summoned, without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extend the ghost scepter to them and spare their lives. Esther realized that she was in a great danger by going to the king to plead for the lives of her people. But she was willing to intercede and we know, according to the account, that she did that even at the expense of her life. That's another example of intercession. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 38, Jeremiah, chapter 38, beginning from verse 7 to 13, there is an account, Jeremiah 38, verse 7 to 13. If you have time at your leisure, you might, you might read that, but I'm just trying to run you know, over this so quick, you know, quickly so that I won't lose time on them. We realize what happened to Jeremiah in this account when he was thrown into a cistern, the pit. And a man called Abed-Melech, the Egyptian, interceded to the king for him to get him released. That is another intercession. That's another good example of an intercession. And if you, if you wouldn't mind, if I read from verse, you know, verse 7 to 9, but Abed-Melech, a Koshite, an official in the royal palace, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern while the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate. Abed-Melech went out of the palace and said to him, that is to the king, my lord, the king, these men have acted wickedly in all they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. They have thrown him into a cistern where he will starve to death when there is no longer any bread in the city. But what did the king do? The, the king commanded that they should take him out of that, of that pit. That is an, act, is an act of intercession. And this is all happening so that we can familiarize ourselves to the concept of intercession. Because this is the shadow, this is a shadow of what is to come. And by the time we see how Jesus Christ 
exemplify this concept, this act, we will see that there are no similarities and that Jesus Christ is above all and there's none compared to his intercessory power. Another example we find in the book of, Jew, in the book of the, uh, Genesis chapter 37, Genesis 37, 26 and, 27, 26 and 27. And it's an account that you've, you are familiar with too. The son of Jacob, Judah, one of the 12, one of the, one of the, yeah, one, one of the sons of Jacob, interceded for Joseph's life. And if I read from 26, Genesis chapter 37, beginning from 26 and reading to 27, Judah said to his brothers, what we will gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our home flesh and blood. And they agree with him. He interceded for Joseph's life and his brother listened. That's an act of pleading and he saves him. So every act of intercession will lead to safety, will lead to security, and will lead to salvation as we are going to see in the Lord. God has chosen or given us this example for us to see that these are just shadows of what to come so that when it happens, we can better understand what Jesus Christ has done for us. And that is the way I see it. What I've told you so far, on one hand, is an account of intercession between men and kings or some other person. Now I'm going to give you another three biblical examples of the intercession between men and God that some people in the scriptures have actually done. The first one is in, book, is in the book of Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 7. And it's about how Samuel, God used Samuel to subdue the Philistine in Mizpah. It's an account that I know that you are familiar with too. I won't spend so much time on it, but I will go into the context just to let you know how Samuel pleaded with God so that his people will be forgiven, their sins will be forgiven, and that God will free them from their captive. 1 Samuel chapter 7, and we will read from verse 5. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mishpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mishpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as a leader of Israel in Mishpah. If you go quickly to the verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. God interceded because God intervened 
because Samuel interceded with God. He pleaded, and the people abandoned all their foreign, foreign gods. They confessed their sin, they fasted, and God pardoned them. And they were forgiven, and he helped them to win the battle against the Philistines. That's another heart of intercession between man and God. It's so important. And this is no fairy tale. It happened. It's recorded. Another example of how people have pleaded to God and God has listened and have mercy upon them is found in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 32. We will read from verse 9 to 14. And it's another account that you are familiar with. Exodus 32, reading from verse 9 to 14. God just said, I have seen these people. The Lord said to Moses, and they are still naked people. This is when Moses went into the mountain. And before he was able to, before he could return, the people have started worshiping some other idols. And Jesus, you know, God knew what was happening in the camp, and he was, telling, he was telling Moses what is taking place, because Aaron was still with them. And he realized that these people would not learn. There has been so many accounts before this time where, where Israelites have demonstrated an act of indiscipline and unfaith, you know, unfaithfulness towards God that brought them out from the land of Egypt. This is just the peak of it. And what did God do? Then I will make you, God says, I'm going to destroy them. And in verse 11, what did Moses say? But Moses sought the favor of the Lord is God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? That is an intercession. God, please don't kill people. And you know that they are still naked people. But what do you want the other nations to say? That you brought them this far in order to kill them? Please don't do it. And what did the Lord say in 14? Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Intercession. Moses interceded for these people. And God relented from the disaster he had promised. When I was studying, I was like, God relented. God changed his mind. You know what the Holy Spirit taught me? He just said, that is the Lord's mercy. It's his mercy. He had mercy upon them. Not that God would change, or he, he, he probably, you know, like some people would think that God, you know, we, why would God change his mind? But you have to look you know, at that verse in terms of his mercy. Not that he has changed his heart or because he had threatened. No, he had mercy upon them. And you can better understand that context, that, that word, if you look at what we deserve ourselves by separating from Jesus and from God himself. Death. Relationship is severe. But through Jesus Christ, he had mercy upon our life. Not that he changed. Not that he's learned further than more than he knew. But because of the mercy of the Lord, 
we were not consumed. So it's the mercy of the Lord when Moses interceded for them. The third one, and that will be the end of the, all the places that we can go in the Bible to see the intercessory work of other people out, you know, beside Christ. And this is found in the book of Genesis chapter 18. And it's a story, it's an account that is so, you know so well again, it's about Abraham having three visitors. Abraham and three visitors. You all knew what was there, but where I'm going particularly is when Abraham pleaded for Sodom. You know his cousin was there, Lot, and God came, visited him in three persons, and you know, after, the, after all the promises to Abraham and Sarah about the promised child and what is going to happen in another year, God was ready to look, God was ready to go. If you go to Genesis chapter, I think I said 18, right? Genesis chapter 18, let's read from verse 16. So when the men got up to leave, these are the three men, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. This is the attitude that you found, you know, among the Israelites. When you visit them, they don't just stop by the doorpost or by the doorstep and say bye-bye. They will walk you, and it's an attitude, it's a culture that even I am familiar with. Sometimes when I was in Africa, some visitors would come to, to our house and how we follow them to us, just to accompany them to wherever, maybe they, they, you know, to the garage, where they are, or to the bus terminals, and I won't be back for maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes. We will stop, we will talk, we will stop, we will talk, and my wife will be wondering, where it said it was, it, it was just seeing these people off. So I was quite, I, when I was reading this, I, was, I, I understood why Abraham would just give work with them, just to see them off. And from verse 17, then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and a powerful nation, and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. And that is it. Then in verse 20, then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Then in verse 22, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. When I was reading, did that jump to me? Abraham was in the way of the Lord. He remained standing. It's as if God, you can go. He remained standing in the way of the Lord just because the Lord has mentioned Sodom and he knew who was there. And he remained there and look at what happened before the Lord. Then again, not just remain standing before the Lord, he approached him. He approached the Lord and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? That is an heart of the pleading. 
Don't destroy the, the righteous with the wicked. And he began, as we know the, the, the story, you all know how the conversation went or goes. He, he was negotiating with God. <laughs> he was not pleased. What about this 50? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And it's mathematics at that time, at the point of 10, is that, okay, Lord and his wife, you know, two daughters, or two, maybe how many children? Three or so, with their in-laws, probably six there. He was making some calculations. We should be able to get 10. <laughs> you know, but, you know, he was, what I'm trying to show is that he interceded for his, for his people. He didn't want God to, do, you know, to condemn them. He didn't want God to kill them all. Don't do that. And God promised him, okay, if, we, if we're able to see that many people, I think I will spare the land. And we all know how it all ended. So that is to show you that intercessory work of God has been happening even before, Jesus, before the advent of Jesus Christ. And I mentioned that I was going to talk about the characteristics or the credentials of a peacemaker. And this is what we found in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we found that a peacemaker is not just a, an influential or powerful person. Christ is all powerful. He's all powerful. In the book of Jeremiah 23, verse 6, he said, The Lord, you might not go there, he said, The Lord, our righteousness, and his holiness is righteous. Jesus has the holiness, he has the power to do this intercessory work. Unlike all that I've dis discussed with you so far, he stood out among all these people. He has, he has the majesty. If you look at um, the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, from 3 to 5, say, The voice of him that cried in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. What a majesty. What a majesty. That is the quality of our peacemaker. No one can ever share or come close to this majesty. A peacemaker must be very, must be truthful. And we found in John 14, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus was telling us that I am the way, the truth, and life. He is truthful. He represents and embodies the truth. He's different from every other people that we've referred to who have interceded either between man and another man or kings, or even between man and God. No one can share from his glory. No one can share from his power. No one can share 
from his majesty. The glory of the Lord is above all the preachers and prophets who has ever existed. He is above Moses, he is above David, he is above Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel mentioned, even John the Baptist. There is none anywhere who can compare with the Lord Jesus Christ because he's from heaven. Jesus is the Son of God, the everlasting Son, equal with the Father in power and in glory, worshipped by the holy host of angels in heaven. He's extraordinary. He's so superior when we want to compare the intercessory work of all these people. All put together is nothing compared to what he has done for you and I. He came down to take human nature. He came down from heaven, therefore he is above all. He is a prophet to teach us, a priest to die for us, and to make an atonement for us, and a king to rule over us, both in his estate of humiliation and in which he was afflicted, despised and crucified, and also in a state of exaltation in which he has taken his seat, according to Psalm 110, at the right side of God. The intercession of God for us is, by, is twofold. One, because he laid down his life. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, we were told that he was listed among the transgressors. And he offered his own life to die for us. That is one heart of intercession. The, other, the second part of intercession is that he is risen and is seated at the right side of God. And that continued, the intercessory work continued. What makes it so majestic, so amazing, is that none of these other people ever bear, no, they did not bear the punishment by themselves. None of these peacemakers say, okay, even Moses, punish me for the transgression of these people. Not even um, Abraham says, okay, you know what, I'm going to be responsible for these people that I'm pleading for. Jesus bore all our sins and sorrow and our shame. He bore it upon himself. We were told that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That is extraordinary. You cannot find any heart of intercession anywhere else. The perfection of the intercessory work is fully, fully confirmed in Jesus Christ. And it's amazing. And as, I, as I've pointed out, it should rekindle, this should rekindle our love for him. We cannot say enough about the life of Jesus Christ or what he, about what he has done for us and how he has done it. We can't say, we can't say enough, enough about it. But when we say this is an avenue or it's a way for us to go back to the cross, to renew our commitment, just like we may have rightly pointed out this morning, to cleanse all the clutters in our life and rededicate our life. And it's an avenue to know that the peace and hope and all the heavenly gifts that, that we are not exposed to is all ours, even because He's seated right upon the right, the right hand of God. 
interceding for us. We have access to those promises in, in the scripture because it's there. Not just praying for us, but exposing, giving us the avenue and the access to those promises in the scriptures that we can rightly claim. Things that was not exposed to us during the first Adam, now we have access, the heavenly gifts, because of him. It's so completely, it, it changes my thinking and my attitude. And I saw the word intercession in another, in another, in another way. Because you cannot chip in it down, but it, 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 it's an avenue for you to just say, Lord, you know what? Glory be to your name for what you have done for me. A peacemaker has to have integrity. We know that we found integrity in Jesus Christ. Humility. If you claim to be a peacemaker, you must be humble. Philippians 2, if you read from 5 to 11, but if you read, if you read from here, he said, I'm being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility, perfect in Jesus Christ. If you look at all the lives of other people that we've considered, they are so noble people, great leaders, but none of them compare to Jesus Christ. Humility. What another, another attribute that we found in Jesus Christ is loving kindness. It's loving kindness. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's loving kindness, perfect in Jesus Christ. Abraham, we know, is flaws. Moses, we knew, is flaws. What other people have we mentioned? Judah, even though he interceded for the life of his, his brother, Joseph, he's not clean. Jesus is. But all those things took place so that we will be able to know the difference, even though there are similarities. But Jesus took it to the extreme. He took it to perfection. And we can rightly, we can be boastful of our salvation because we are not purchased by the blood of animals like what Samuel sacrificed at Mizpah. He killed the suckling and have a burnt offering to the Lord, but he cost Jesus Christ his own blood, his own life, in order to get atonement for us. So in Jesus Christ, another attribute we found is mercy. Like I just told you, it's merciful. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ. Mercy. It is because of the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. Purity. Christ is pure, without blemish, 
Hebrew chapter 7, verse 26. Hebrew chapter Hebrews 7, 26 says, Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Purity. We can say of this with all these other people that we've discussed. That is outstanding. Integrity, mercy, loving kindness, he has it all. So lastly, what is unique about the intercessory work of Jesus Christ? And uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He always lives to intercede for us. I'm so sorry, I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, no. There's still, no, but I can, I, can, I can round up, you know, in a way that I just want you to know one thing. If you can chew on that thing that Jesus has done for us, the intercessory work of Jesus Christ, what I'm saying here will further corroborate what you may have just told, rightly pointed out this morning, for us to renew our commitments. You are understanding your salvation in another light. And what that should make you do is to grant you the enablement, the grace, to be able to rededicate your life, to be able to say, Lord, I just see something different about you. And it will be enough for me to rededicate my life, to cleanse all the clutter and living as a living, you know, you've been portraying our body as a living sacrifice to him, holy and acceptable to Jesus Christ. He's not just done what he has done in death. He continued to do it even in life when he's risen, sitting upon you. Last week, when we came for the prayer meeting, just in closing, we may, before we went to pray, he, I think he read verse 23, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I thought about that. I shall not want. He's my shepherd. That means I shall be satisfied. The satisfaction that we have when we pray the Lord's prayer is because we have a father who was our shepherd on the, the heartly priesthood. And now again, he's gone before us as a shepherd again, as a heavenly priesthood, interceding for us. What a complete God we have. He won't just be our you know, shepherd here. He's our shepherd there too. And because of that, we can say, we shall be satisfied. And I pray that that will work for you and that you shall be satisfied. In whatever things you are facing, I want you to have this confidence that you have a God who is there interceding and you shall be satisfied. You shall not want. 
all the meanings of the prayers will come and they will leave because he has opened the access, access to God so that we will be satisfied. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we thank you once again for what you have said. And I pray that you will use your word in a way that the Holy Spirit will impact the real understanding and the real meaning of what you have done for us and who you are and that you will be revealed to these people and even to myself, your glory, so that we will fully grasp the love that you have for us. Lord, I pray that the peace and love that accompany our salvation, Lord, will be revealed to us in such a way that we will be able to rededicate our life and our commitment to you. Lord, as we are facing this week, we pray that, Lord Almighty, you will help us and strengthen us, grant comfort to every one of us in our workplaces, in our school, and even in our home. Lord, we pray for some of our members who are not feeling fine. We pray for Victor Shaw. We pray for our holies, Lord. We're so grateful to see one of them coming to church, Dillman. We pray that you continue to strengthen them. Lord, we pray for we met you who is struggling. Lord, we pray that you will grant him healing and that you will comfort him. Lord, we pray for um, Rafina. We pray that you will grant her comfort too and you will meet every one of these people at the point of their needs. Lord, we pray for Mary Elizabeth uh, that is waiting to undergo surgery. Lord, I just pray that you will prepare all this before her and that you will grant her the confidence, the comfort, and that you will make her heart to feel satisfied. I pray for the doctors as they plan to operate on, on, on our Lord. I pray for skill. I pray for wisdom for them. And I pray that the expected result will be our testimony. Lord, we thank you for what you have done. We pray that you will use your word to impact our life in such a way that we will have good attitude and good ambassadors. For those that are outside of this intercessory work of God, Lord, I pray that you will open their eyes to see what they are missing, how God has saved every one of us, and that they will come to trust you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.